Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. For my yoga teacher friends who are interested in working with the pregnant population, Prenatal Yoga Center offers an 85-hour Yoga Alliance certified program based on our three-pronged theory of prenatal yoga, asana, education, and community. Once a year, we hold our three-month immersion program in New York City. For those who cannot attend this training, Caprice and I are now traveling to different locations holding our training at hosting studios where we will spend six days working together, exploring and learning about prenatal yoga. This training consists of more than 50 hours working together. We also created a whole membership website with more than 20 videos corresponding directly to the manual you will receive. For more information, check out our website at prenatalyogacenter.com. Hope to work with you soon. Take care. Hi, everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg, and I am your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and we are going to talk more about the world of motherhood and work and if they balance and why we balance them or if we just need to take a break for it for a little bit. So we are talking to Paula Lynch today. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Paula is an ERYT 500 YogaWorks certified instructor affiliated with the YogaWorks teacher training programs. Her teaching style is influenced by her years of study in the Ashtanga Vinyasa method and the precision and clarity of Iyengar yoga, which she mainly practices now. Paula's teaching style expresses yoga as an incredible technique that can give us access to the layers of our physical and energetic bodies through patience and intentional practice. Her primary teacher is Jenny Capular, and she spent many years studying with Allison West and Glenn Black. Paula has taught classes in New York City at YogaWorks since 2005, as well as 200 and 300 hour teacher trainings for YogaWorks. She also serves as a guest anatomy teacher for other 200 hour yoga teacher trainings throughout New York City. She's currently taking sabbatical from teaching so she can raise her two girls, and number three is on the way, and works primarily mentoring other yoga teacher and teacher trainees. Hi, Paula. I'm so glad that we can chat today. So we're going to talk about a little life of a yoga teacher and, and really about, uh, I've watched you go from teacher training when you were training to becoming a well sought after teacher trainer. And also in that time, becoming a mother and kind of how you balance all that. So I'm so glad to have you. Thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's, it's a real pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's start with a little bit of what led you to teaching yoga. Uh, well, I started practicing yoga, um, I guess I was in my mid-20s, and, or, or early 20s, I guess it was. And um, it was Ashtanga yoga is what I started practicing. And it was a really wonderfully balancing practice for me. And... Um, my parents were getting sick at the time. Both of my parents had heart disease and were in and out of the hospital. And, um, I was, my brother was living on the West coast and I was living in the Midwest with my near my, like 10 minutes from my folks. And so over the course of a couple of years, I became their primary caretaker as they were in and out of the hospital and, you know, in and out of heart surgery. My mom had a series of angioplasties and so forth. And so I had to really educate myself, uh, in terms of healthcare, you know, and, and, heart health and recovery. And uh, my dad ended up having a quadruple bypass. So I had to help them, you know, I went working from full-time to part-time. And so, um, I went from, you know, working full-time and taking care of myself and living in my twenties and living downtown and, um, to a complete life shift, you know, becoming caretaker. I was over at their house every day, helping both of them in and out of bed and making meals and so forth. And my yoga practice is actually what sustained me. It's what fed me in terms of my own self-care. So fast forward, you know, five, five years, maybe six years. And, uh, I was in New York city. I had, my parents had stabilized, you know, they were on their feet again and I'd moved to the city to New York city. And, um, I thought, you know, my practice again was my lifeblood as it were. And, um, I started taking teacher training because, you know, it was cheap at the time. <laughs> That's a whole different thing, you know. But um, it was affordable, and uh, YogaWorks had just 
established themselves in New York on the East Coast. And I started teaching because I realized when I was practicing and helping my parents, a lot of what I was learning through the yoga practice in terms of breath awareness, breath control, and body management, you know, uh, like biomechanics, and a lot of what, uh, what I had learned through just studying books, uh, you know, anatomy books and heart health care books and, and everything had helped my parents recover so much. And I mean, I wasn't a teacher at the time. I was just a practitioner, but thinking, gosh, you know, Utkatasana is a great way to get up out of bed to get your legs under you. You know, when my mom was really weak and recovering from heart surgery and um, di- various, um, you know, Urdhva Hastasana type of movements were really useful for my dad recovering from this quadruple bypass open heart surgery. So I took the teacher training thinking, I'm certain my parents aren't the only people in the world, you know, struggling like this. And it's not that I wanted to teach older folks or people, um, you know, coming out of surgery or post-operative or anything. But I just thought this is such simple, useful work that is so stabilizing physically, mentally and emotionally. Because uh, I, I watched, you know, through my parents' recovery, I was working with them every single day and uh, they had a PT come to the house to help my mom. And the physical therapist after a few weeks was like, you don't need me anymore. I, I don't know what you're doing with your mom, but it's working. And so they're receptive to your very yoga? Rece- yeah. That's and great. I think it was because, you know, here I am, I'm their daughter. They know me. There's, you know, I wasn't somebody from the outside who they had to build a relationship of trust with that was present. But um, it was a matter of, you know, me teaching these very, what I saw is really simple things, simple breath exercises, simple movement exercises that got them on their feet, that got them breathing again, that got them stabilized so that they could take care of themselves again. And that was tremendous. You know, I found that, uh, that shift to observe that shift, to be part of that shift, to be really tremendous. And so I thought this is, you know, I came to yoga thinking this is a useful tool to teach people. And so, um, you know, that's what got me interested in teaching and started teaching. And then, you know, when you first start out teaching, it's you teach whoever shows up. You teach whatever you can teach, you know. Mm-hmm. But over the years, I sort of inadvertently became um, sort of a specialist in um, therapeutics or injury management or injury prevention and that sort of stuff. And, and I thought, oh, I guess this is why I started in the first place. <laughs> you yeah, know? I think that's interesting that a lot of yoga teachers, I think myself included, we all kind of start just the general and then get drawn somewhere. Like I never would have thought prenatal. You know, so who, who yeah. would have thought? Uh, for those that are listening, it's had to comment on how poised you seem right now, Paula, because what I am seeing, so we're doing this interview Skype for the listeners and <laughs> Paula's daughter has kind of crept into the picture and is just playing around. And you never would know from the way that Paula is just so eloquently talking and continuing conversation that her daughter is around there. And it's just, that's kind of part of our talk today. It's about, you know, motherhood and balance and, and work or not work. And as we, as Paula and I talked about, um, she asked if there's going to be an editor and I'm like, well, you know, motherhood's a little messy and it's, (laughs) it's not about perfection. So I kind of loved that almost on cue, your daughter (laughs) came up. It's like poking at your face and touching the microphone because you know, motherhood's messy. And that's, yeah. And that is what it is. You, and you take it, like we said before, the new mantra is embrace the chaos. Embrace the chaos because it will be there. I actually find when I try not to, when I go against the chaos, then I find myself getting more out of control as opposed to kind of riding, riding, riding the chaos. It's like you, I remember hearing years and years ago, this uh, turn of phrase, you can't push the river, Mm -hmm. let it flow. And it's when we, as moms, you know, try to push the river or try to establish a sense of, you know, my control that might be a little bit too much for the situation. That's when it gets loopy. Well, I go back all the way. I tell my prenatal students to approach labor that way. Mm. You know, it's a wild river that if we try to over control, it just rebuts against us. It just does not work. It does not work. (laughs) So that's an early lesson of, you know, let the river go on its own, kind of like children. All right. So let's get back a little bit. Back on track. Uh, Yeah. But at any time, if your daughter needs some attention, please feel free to give it to her. All right. So what direction did you want your teaching to go? Um, I don't think I knew at the time when I started teaching. Um, I don't think I knew 
that I wanted it to go anywhere or had a specific idea of it. I just was so influenced by um, the shift I saw in my parents in the in the very amateurish way that I taught them. It was just me connecting with the pe- these two people that I loved immensely, wanting to help them with whatever tools I could, whatever tools I had, you know. And so I feel like the the direction I, I the very vague direction I was interested in my teaching going was just in connecting with people. You know, it occurred to me very early on that I was teaching people, not postures, not sequences, not curricula. You Mm -hmm. know, it was very much about these beings, these people walking into my room and me looking at them going, you know, maybe you just went through heart surgery. Maybe you just went through labor and delivery uh, in a beautiful way or in a traumatic way. Or um, maybe you just went through a breakup. Maybe you just lost your job. Maybe you just got a new job. Maybe you just bought a new house. Like there are so many, you know, the myriad things that we experience in life that that bring us to a practice like yoga to help us, you know, smooth out the wrinkles, as it were, in our consciousness and in our minds and bodies. And and I I just would watch people walk into the room and think I have no idea what these people are bringing. I don't know mm-hmm. what they're going through. So I wanted to teach people. I wanted to connect with people um, and, and attempt to give them the tools of the practice that I had been given and that I was able to, you know, give to my parents in a very basic way. So I think that was the only direction I had, which is so vague. You know, I was, I never was like, I want to teach vinyasa or, um, or yin or prenatal or, uh, you know, I never had a specific direction like that. It just sort of took its own course. And then I remember 10 years later thinking, you know, somebody labeling me, oh, she's a, she's like an injury management specialist. And I was like, right. Okay, sure. I'm, I'm okay with that, you know. Um, but that just sort of came. It was never something that I sought out, you know. You also brought a lot of humor to your class. I always appreciated that. <laughs> Good. Well, I think sometimes teachers – you know, teachers can take themselves a little too seriously, um, or students can take themselves a little too seriously. So I thought the humor you brought lightened the mood. And I think people, especially, I remember, I think it was like a Friday evening class I took with you. And like, by that time of day, we just kind of needed that. (laughs) Yeah, everybody was hooked a little bit. Yeah. Well, that was for me. I mean, humor was always something I remember in my family that I was always kind of relied on for, I guess, to be the, be it the peacemaker or the entertainer or whatever. Um, the tablet's right over there, honey. Do you want to go get it? <laughs> and um, it, to me, it was just another way to connect with people on a on a human level. You know, yes, we're we're doing these complex movements. We're doing, or we're you know, we're approaching complex postures that you might be frustrated by, you might feel challenged by, you might disagree with mentally or physically. You might it might be an issue of like or dislike. But I think if we can, you know, take we can take what we do seriously, but we don't have to take ourselves seriously. Then you bring a level of enjoyment into Mm -hmm. it. And then, you know, as we all know, we learn better when we're enjoying ourselves. I think that's a perfect segue to talk about motherhood, Um, not taking ourselves too seriously. All right. So um, I, you know, we follow each other on social media and I read in a post that you wrote and it really, really spoke with me. You talked about how your Dharma is now being a mother and you're very much in the thick of early motherhood. Was there ever any difficult accepting that or letting go of what you did before you had your babies? Just, just a little, (laughs) (laughs) um, it, I wrote that. I remember writing that when I was 20 weeks pregnant or 22 weeks or something like fully pregnant with my third, which I still am. (laughs) And, um, and you know, my oldest daughter's three and a half. So we have been, you know, I'm in it, I'm in the trenches. And, um, it took me up until that point, you know, pregnant with my third to go, you are immersed in this. This isn't just something that you do along with, you know, be a wife and take care of your home and teach your students. This is, this is your life, you know, and it wasn't a rude awakening. It was more just sort of a realization that washed over me. And I remember laughing and thinking, all right, get on board. It's time. It's been three and a half years, you know, (laughs) get on board completely. And it reminded me of something, um, 
Jenny Arthur, who also is a really well-known teacher. She's now in LA, um, but she always comes back to New York to teach. But Jenny said to me again, when I first started teaching, she said, you can't just do this work part-time, you know, and this work being teaching this practice, you can't just do this part-time. You have to do it full-time if you want to really know it. And if you want to really make an impact on your students and on yourself. And that really made an impression on me because I thought she's right. And I think that's true about most things that we undertake. You know, if you give yourself fully to it, that's when you, you understand what you're doing in such a way that you can get into that flow state. And that's when you, you know, I felt that I would become as a teacher more of um, a conduit for the practice, for the teachings, for the, um, for the state of yoga that we can enter rather than, you know, a tool who's giving the practice to people. You know, I, I felt like I would become, I would easily get into the flow state when I was teaching all my regular classes all the time and my workshops and teacher trainings and everything, because there's that, that sense of being, you know, it surrounds you and you're part of what you're doing. It's not just something that you do on the side. It's not your job. And then you go home and you're done. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that struck me strongly when Jenny said that years and years ago. And, and I, I had that, that revelation again about motherhood, like do it, be all in, you know, and, and every, I struggle with that every day because of things like, you know, the details like self care <laughs> and time to myself that doesn't have to do with the children and, um, things, you know, crafts, hobbies, things that I'd like to do on the side just for enjoyment that, you know, I don't, we as moms don't get as much time for. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Well, it's interesting you brought up the self-care. Because I just wrote the little blurb for my um, May newsletter. And I talked about self-care. And that motherhood, and I think you might resonate with this, motherhood is probably one of the most rewarding things I have ever done. But at the same time, it is uh, very challenging. I I find it, maybe I shouldn't speak for all moms. I find it sometimes really frustrating. Um, I find it just uh, draining, emotionally draining. But at at the same time, (laughs) I love picking my kids up from school and seeing their face. And at the same time, I also love when they're asleep. You know, so... And my my little blurb had to do with kind of recognizing that those two can live together, but that if we don't take care of ourselves, then we're going to have nothing left to give to those that need us to care for them, as well as setting an example for our kids that mm-hmm. my son freaks out every time I either leave for yoga class or go to the gym. And I tell him that I need to do this for myself. And I'm hoping that he can recognize that and maybe someday recognize the importance of self-care. So I'm glad to hear that with three kids or, you know, two and a half basically yeah. <laughs> right now. Although, 2.5. <laughs> and it's pretty impressive because we were pregnant at the same time. I had uh, Sage is a couple months younger than your oldest and you are now pregnant with your third in this time. So yeah, <laughs> you're whipping them out. So within this short period of time, that you are still recognizing the importance of self-care. And I, I mean, I may recognize it. Do I always get it in? No. And that's the struggle is that I am conscious of it or I'm conscious of the reactions that I may have, you know, or I get frustrated because I'm tired, overwhelmed, hungry, whatever it is, because I have fed them first or we went to the park and I brought them a snack, but I forgot to bring my own granola bar, little silly things like that. And then I, we come home and now, like I said, I'm tired, I'm hungry, or I'm stressed, overwhelmed, or my husband has been working late for a couple nights in a row and I'm just flying solo. And the moment in the moment of having that frustrated blow up, or I, you know, 
snap at somebody or I say something I, or do something or act or whatever in a way that I immediately think, you know, why you're doing this is because your battery's drained because you cannot draw from an empty well and you've got to fill up your own well. And that's when I say, okay, note to self. An hour later, I text the babysitter and I say, can you come over tomorrow afternoon or tomorrow night? Or I say to my husband, you know, I need you to take over on Saturday so that I can take a nap, go on a walk, go to a yoga class, practice in, in the basement by myself, whatever it is, you know. And so to be able to, to perceive that you need that time and then line it up, like right when you perceive that you need it, schedule it. That's the only way I've learned how to do it. Otherwise, I'll go days and weeks and then become this, you know, like you said, scary mommy. Then I'm like, ooh, eek not ideal. This is not what I wanted to happen, but I've sort of let it happen without, you know, catching myself. Um, that's the, that's the hard part. And again, with number three on the way, I'm kind of going, Oh, you better, (laughs) you better schedule that well in advance because you know, you're going to need it a lot. So yeah, help. I am, you know, I'm all about the village. In fact, just the other day, yesterday, my friend and neighbor um, asked me if I could watch her kids for 15 minutes between gap of her coming home and the sitter leaving. And at the same time, my neighbor across the street said, hey, do you want me to take your kids for a little? I'm like, yes, we are all helping each other. Yes. And oh, it's great. so necessary. You know, you, you just can't do it on your own. And sometimes, you know, when the neighbor across the street who has the au pair, it takes both kids. I'm like, I can shower now? Oh, my God. <laughs> Alone? <laughs> Alone. No what a yeah. luxury. Yeah. So, yeah, balance. So any advice for moms at a crossroad of career and child? Because I know that you did have to make that decision of like, all right, I'm in it with the mother situation right now. Career is going to have to take a bit of a back burner. Any advice on that? Well, my husband and I decided when, as soon as we got pregnant, you know, within the first few months, I remember, I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. We thought we'd been married for a year and a half. We were like, let's start trying. I was in full swing teaching. I was teaching six and seven days a week, workshops, teacher trainings, retreats. I had things booked, you know, a year in advance. Um, I was, I had just put down a deposit to do a cadaver lab, um, with Joe Muscolino. I mean, I was, everything was, I was, flying high and it was great. And I was, it was so much fun. I was having such a great time teaching and I was dropping into that flow state constantly. And we thought, well, let's, you know, let's try, I'm not getting any younger and let's try to start having children because surely it'll take us a few months. Nope. Right out of the gate. And I come out of the bathroom with the little stick and I'm sobbing. And my husband's like, are you so happy? I'm like, no, I had all these plans. <laughs> I was going to do all these things. I was terrified because I thought, wait a minute, you know, I had all these things lined up in my life, in my career. <clears throat> he was overjoyed. He was over the moon and I was terrified and I was crying and crying. And then I remember he made me breakfast, like he made me some eggs and then I settled down. Um, so that helped, but <laughs> food always helps. Me, food always helps. Exactly. <laughs> kids and moms alike. But it took me a while to come to terms with the fact that this was going to be a big life changer, you know, and I might have to cancel plans and I might have to change gears. And we decided, you know, a few months into the pregnancy that when the baby came, my career would take a big backseat and I would be, he would be the primary breadwinner and I'd be the primary caretaker. And so we, we established that early on and that set both of our minds at ease. So that was a big deal to make that call. And so I taught all through my pregnancy and then, you know, closer to my due date, when I was maybe like seven months, I dropped a couple of classes. When I was eight months, I dropped another class. And then till finally, when I went back to teaching after I had Leah, um, I was only teaching two classes a week and like teacher training workshops. So I'd be a guest teacher. And, uh, you know, it was hard to go from two incomes to one. And, but we had decided that. So we, you know, going in, we were, we had, we, we had a little bit of money saved. We, there was a readiness also mentally for us. So that, that made a big difference. And then going forward, you know, like coming to what we were talking about earlier, that your Dharma, it took me a long time to let go of the fact that I wasn't contributing to the family income. That was hard. And I wasn't also, um, a player in, in the teaching game in the teaching world. You know, I was not only on the sidelines, but I was like third tier because uh, when we, we moved out of Brooklyn, we had my second daughter and that that's when I 
stopped teaching classes altogether. And I just was teaching teacher training workshops. Like I was just a guest teacher on weekends here and there. I was teaching anatomy workshops and anatomy uh, trainings for different teacher trainings. But that would be, you know, one weekend every few months. So it was really, it really thinned out. And uh, we moved out of Brooklyn uh, out here to New Jersey. And that's when it became really hard. And um, that's when my husband and I, again, sat, had the sit down and said, I need to take a sabbatical from teaching, you know, and I kind of wish we would have had that talk before we moved out here because we kept thinking, oh, no, it'll be fine. I'll take the bus in. It'll be cool. But it became harder on us in terms of finding childcare. Um, uh, you know, his workload went up a, a lot and he couldn't help as much at home. And so I, um, my advice, I guess, would be to sit down and talk about this with your partner about where you see where you see your work going, where you want it to go, um, where you see his work going, where he wants it to go, so that you, even though you know it will change in the world of kids and growing up, um, it will change. But you have an idea of well, we talked about this. You're going to be the primary caretaker. You're going to be the primary breadwinner. Whatever it is, you have that set so that um, you can. It might take you a while to settle into it, but you know your role, you know? I like that adva- the idea of really talking about it, but after the talking and after the, this is what we're going to do, emotionally, how was it for you to step back so much and watch the game keep going? You know, watch new teachers that you trained start to rise up the tears. That was really hard. And that's what's, you know, what's taken me up until three and a half years in to say, it's not my time for that. You know, it really, really hard emotionally because I would get on social media or I'd get emails from people or I would get emails from past students who are now teachers and becoming teacher trainers asking for my advice or my mentorship on certain things. And, um, you know, that was reassuring, but then I'd watch everybody else just take off you know, and, and hold all these workshops and trainings and be sought after. And I would reminisce about well, that used to be me. I used to be interested, interesting. Um, people used to be interested in me and, and I used to be, um, you know, a popular teacher or a desired teacher. People used to want what I was able to offer in the classroom. And now, you know, here I am some, some days and I feel like a glorified waitress and, you know, what I mean, you pour your heart and soul into what you're doing only to have somebody, you know, kick you um, <laughs> because they're having a meltdown or, you know, you kind of at the end of the day, you go, nobody is. This is the most thankless work I've ever done. But, you know, and you're you realize, wow, I was validated really regularly in my previous work and my teaching. You, I was able to communicate with adults who would say, thank you so much for your class. It has helped me, blah, blah, blah. It has fortified me in my life and, or whatever it is. And you think I'm really useful in the world. I'm part of something. And you come home and you're home with your kids all the time. And you go, does, is anybody listening? Am I, is, am I being useful? Like, geez. And so that's, that's really frustrating also to see these other, you know, your younger teachers go, you know, fly way ahead of you. And you sort of step completely out of the game is emotionally and mentally really difficult. And it, but it, to me, it was about my ego. And I just, every day I just check my ego. I get out of bed, I check my ego and I'm like, and I say, you know, you're kind of in a way you're, you're in service of what you're doing now, which is, I say to myself, I'm raising kids and my husband says, no, no, you're forming consciousness. <laughs> I love that. I love, and I think that is much more noble a call. <laughs> so we are forming um, the society a- of, d- of days to come, which is, yeah. which in this society is really necessary. <laughs> Yeah, really necessary work and really potent work. Again, I think if we take it on. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've sort of, you know, it took me, uh, took me three and a half years, but I, you know, I've determined that this is, this is really powerful work. And sometimes I feel like it's holy work, you know, like this is what I've been called to do. And I have to, you know, take it on in such a way that, um, in the, in the same way that I took on teaching as a calling, as a vocation so that, um, I don't feel reminiscent about what I used to do in such a way that I miss it. I can recall, oh, that was great, but this is where I am now. I want to pull back to something you said about the ego 
And having been through two pregnancies myself, and I approach them very differently, especially my practice. Now, I know what your practice was because I remember hearing about it when I had just given birth to Shay. So Shay is five and a half and your inlay is three and a half. So you were really shining bright when I had just given birth. In fact, you probably don't remember this, but I remember walking up, I think it was Broadway and you and Lippy were having coffee or something in some outside cafe. And Shay must've been like a month old. Mm. So and he I was, was in the stroller. Here's yes. the, do you remember this? I remember. Yes. <laughs> and yes. my labor, my first labor was um, a battleground, as my body then told me later. Um, my, like my pelvic floor is like down to my ankles. It was, it was not good. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, <laughs> and I remember just seeing you guys. You're like, how are you? I'm like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but... You know, that the, the time right after giving birth, at least for me, it was a, it was a challenge physically and emotionally a challenge. And I remember hearing your practice. You're like, yeah, I do pranayama and I do two practices a day and I meditate. And I'm thinking, I'm just happy I washed my hair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like I have clothes on and they may match and they may not. Um, and I am outside. I'm outside my house with and that's, this baby. And that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Right. Totally. So what... And it was for me, it was a lot about letting go of my ego during my first pregnancy from my yoga because I don't think I did nearly enough, which I think caused some detriment. How has your practice changed from pregnancy to pregnancy? Like, I'm guessing with, the, I remember your first one because I was practicing alongside you in Carrie's class. Yeah, class together, yeah, and headstands and yeah. twisting and everything, yeah. Yeah, so um, how has that changed from first now to third? Well, the first, through my first pregnancy, I mean, um, I was, you know, practicing regularly with Jenny Cackler, as I, you know, always have, and also with Carrie Awerko, and... Um, working um, more sporadically with Glenn Black, who was more my body tuning teacher. And they all had different things to say and different approaches, but I kept a really regular, um, I wouldn't say vigorous practice, but I would practice, you know, 90 minutes to two hours in the morning and then another two hours in the evening. And the morning practice was standing poses and, um, uh, you know, a more awakening practice, some inversions, um, and some seated poses, back bends, you know, so forth. And then the evening was always inversions and pranayama. And I kept this up for as long as I could. And I started to realize like, you know, not just what the books say, oh, you have to start dropping these poses off, but physically I'd be like, oh, I can't move that way anymore. I can't fit my arm there. And so <laughs> your body starts to tell you what you're capable of and what you're not, what doesn't feel right, you know, um, and then you start to read physiologically what's no longer useful or good for your body. And that was hard to start just dropping off my own personal practice, the poses that were no longer useful. And, and that became a big ego issue because I'd be like, well, I feel strong enough to do it. I mean, I'm still physically able to do it, but I'm not physically able to do it. And, you know, the recurrence, the recurrent, recurring thought over and over that um, I'm practicing with someone else right now. And in, in many ways, I'm practicing for someone else. That was hard uh, to embrace. But I was able to still practice all the way through. I remember starting my labor when I was in Upavishta Konasana at home, <laughs> 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. And then um, with Noah, so here I now have you know an 18-month-old romping around. And I have Noah. And that practice was so – everything was on the floor. Which, as you know from my classes, I love to roll around the floor anyway. Um, but – it, it just shifted so much to I practiced whenever I could, which for however long I could. So it was like they'd both be napping or, you know, the baby would be napping, lay would be sleeping, and I'd get 15 minutes in. And it was such a far cry from my normal three and a half, four hours a day, you know, and pranayama, forget it. I was like, I don't have time for that. You know how long it takes me to get into that state of relaxation? I was like, no. Nah. So pranayama took a big back seat. Um, and my practice was, you know, came in fits and spurts and it was just whatever I needed at the time. You know, I would do a couple down dogs. I would do a couple handstands. Um, I might get in a standing pose or two, some simple prone back bends and then there'll be a Shavasana. No, you just, you go to bed later and do your Shavasana there, you know? 
And then, so now I have the two of them running around and I realize that I just become a human jungle gym if I try to practice when they're awake. So, and I know there's a lot of really wonderful, um, posts on online about parents practicing with their kids, you know, kind of crawling on them or in and out among them. But that's, that's fun. I think it's a lot of fun, but for me, it doesn't constitute a yoga practice. It's not the way I'm able to practice and, you know, and, and quiet my mind in the way that I need to through my practice. So my practice these days is like post 8 PM, they're in bed, the house is quiet. I'm alone. I, even the cats go outside. I'm like, everybody out. done. <laughs> and that's when I just get really, really quiet. And again, if I get 20 minutes in, uh, that's all I need, you know, and it, it makes me realize it's what I need now. 20 minutes is enough now. Three and a half, four hours is what I needed then, you know, because I was younger and on fire and teaching all the time. And now that I'm really just mentoring, um, I'm not teaching classes anymore. My I don't need to practice in the same way to sustain myself, you know? So, um, but it's been hard for sure to, to let go, let go, let go, but also necessary because, you know, you think to yourself, well, now I'm older, my body's different. Pregnancy number three, like your body is so different and it, its needs are different. You know, mentally my needs are different. So I'll tell you my seated forward bend practice is sparkling right now. (laughs) (laughs) I used to find myself doing poses on the floor because I would sometimes get a little bored um, sitting on the floor with the kids. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, it makes me sound like a horrible mother saying that. And I would take that time instead of – and I would find my posture would be like, first of all, I was a dancer and a yoga teacher. I'm like, why are my boobs like in my lap? So <laughs> – so I started to do some practice then and I wouldn't call it a yoga practice per se because yeah the kids would notice and they would climb on me but it was at least a way to be in my body and open up and not just get disembodied because here I am just watching them do puzzles how is it to let go of your identity about the poses you could and couldn't do because I remember coming back and not being quite as strong. And it took me, it took me time to rebuild. And I had this inner dialogue in my head. So I went to Carrie and we have the same teachers, Carrie and Jenny. And I had a dialogue in my head being like, they didn't just have a baby or they were not pregnant. And so mm-hmm. it was like my way of being like, it's okay. You can't do that right now. It's okay. How is it to let go of the identity? Like I used to be able to do that. Um, the identity. Well, I, it's different. Um, I think when you're practicing with different teachers, I remember some teachers are more sensitive to it, you know, as when you are the student and you're, you go to your teacher's class, some teachers are much more sensitive to what you've experienced in terms of birth and, and, um, childbearing because they've been through it, you know, like you, I would also say things like, well, they didn't just have, just have it, this whole experience. So I'd give myself an out, but it was in so many ways, I felt like my mind was willing and able to do all these things, arm balances and these big back bends again. But my body was, was very clear about saying that just does not feel right. You know, and I never had, um, I had just the normal diastasis recti that everybody has like this slight separation, but I never had an issue with it. But still there was, I was wary of jumping too quickly back into the practice that I once knew because, um, you know, I felt like your practice is for life. I want to be the age of my teacher. I want to be in my 60s and in my 70s practicing with vim and vigor. And so I'm willing to wait a little bit. But it was, you know, the the mind-body argument was always there. My mind was like, but you're strong. You're young. You're able. My body was like, well, just let's not rush ahead, you know. So uh, that was always a challenge. Or I'd be in a class, like you said, I'd be in a a level three or level four with Carrie, wanting to do all these things because everybody else is doing them. And I want to show the teacher that I can do them or that I'm willing to do them. But then, you know, from the neck down, my body would feel a little softer or a little too tired for that extra posture or to stay in headstand for five more minutes, you know. And so that was a constant dialogue. And I think still is for me um, about what is what I want to do and what is useful for me to do, you know, especially now that like 
I want to do all these things, but then I have to carry on for the rest of the day. If I get up early and I try to squeeze in 20 minutes in the morning, I think if you overdo it now, you know, these kids are going to wake up and, you know, you're going to be cooked by 3 p.m. and they're going to, they still have to go until seven, (laughs) you know? Yeah, you still have your witching hours ahead. Right. So you kind of go, what's useful? What's going to fill my well rather than what's going to drain me? But that's a, yeah, it's a constant challenge to, to, um, navigate what you identify with being able to do and what you're actually able to do. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. And I think it's something I, as a prenatal specialist, feel I get a little frustrated of social media. And I see these very pregnant bodies doing things that I feel could be really detrimental, detrimental mm-hmm. to, you're talking about diastasis. Um, fortunately, you didn't have a lot. I had a lot, um, you know, and I felt like I should have known better. It's a whole nother story. But I feel like seeing these things, who is the practice about at that point? And the fact that you were able to let go of the ego and identify that you're like, okay, my mind wants to do it. My body's not. I don't think a lot of people can do it. And when we see these things on social media, and I've had this rant before. It's almost giving permission to people that may not know their body quite as well or listen quite as well to take these next steps and they could really hurt themselves. And in some cases, they could hurt their baby depending on, you know, placental abruption, like just things that are inappropriate. So I think it was pretty amazing that you found that balance and that you can speak of that balance. Well, I had teachers like Jenny or Glenn, you know, Glenn Black, who's never had children, but has seen so much. And Glenn would always say, well, it's you know, make the right choice. And he, just by alerting me to the fact that you have a choice, Mm -hmm. you don't have to do these things because your mind wants you to do them. You know, I was always, I would always think, oh, right. He's right. What it's up to me again and again and again and again to, to make the most useful choice because I want this body for life. I, you get, we get one, this is it, Mm -hmm. you know? And, um, I, again, or like, I look at my father who's now, Gosh, he's going to be 75 this year. And he was a smoker and then he quit smoking after uh, he had two angioplasties. Then he had open heart surgery and all these things he's been through. He's 75 now and he is unstoppable. He's outside gardening constantly. He volunteers four days a week. I mean, the man is like, he's just so physically capable and able and healthy because he, you know, I think saw what he was doing to himself and, and was able to you know, repair himself and get the right medical help and everything like that. But I look at him and I say, I want to be 75 and out in the garden digging with my grandkids, you know, or my kids or whatever it is, and be doing all these things that keep me vital. And um, so he's been a great role model for me in terms of making choices now for where I want to be later. And and the same with my mom, she was, she never took good care of her health, you know, and, uh, and I remember being, you know, she died the year that, um, Nick and I were, she died in January. Nick and I were married that fall. But I remember thinking, oh, she's not here for my wedding. She's not going to be here to see my children, all these things. And I, and I, um, that has informed me in terms of how I take care of myself for my children, whether it's through my yoga practice or, um, or eating choices or just movement choices, sleep choices. I need to, I need to last a long time because Mm -hmm. I want to enjoy my life and I want, to be with them. You know, I want to be practicing again, you know, with the same earnestness that I did when I was in my early thirties. I want to be doing that when I'm in my sixties, mm-hmm. you know? So I think there's a lot of awareness in my, um, in the background of my mind about that. So I feel like that has helped me make choices in terms of how I practice when I'm pregnant, you know? Have you found that yoga has influenced you at all as a parent? Oh, big time. <laughs> um, Big time. Yeah. I mean, I think I said to my husband, I said to Nick probably two years ago, you know, that I, the 15 years of practice is really what prepared me for motherhood. You know, it did all these other wonderful things along the way, but I 
have had this amazing foundation, especially when I talk to other moms or my sisters-in-law who are also moms. It's, um, it has been such an incredible tool for me to draw on, you know, when I navigate the waters of toddlerhood, uh oh, which is like scary shark infested stuff sometimes. And, um, how, how do I observe myself? What are my reactions? How can I control my reaction? So a lot of it is the physical practice was useful in terms of getting me to this point and keeping me vital and healthy. Um, but now so much of it is the mental practice, the, the powerful pause, as Carrie used to always say, you know, what, what pauses I choose to take, how I use my breath. I've taught my daughter to use her breath when we get frustrated. What do we do? And so much of it is, um, is it just, I mean, priceless, the tools, the mental tools that I'm able to draw on on a daily basis, you know, and they don't always work because sometimes, you know, our <laughs> egos overwhelm us or our children overwhelm us or the day overwhelms us or we're too tired or we're hungry, you know, all these, these many things. But just to be able to um, observe and recognize or step out of yourself for a moment and, and say, wow, that reaction you just had was a little too much. You know, or how can you, uh, how can you approach this calmly? How can you be the sky and let your child's emotions or uh, reactions to the situation be the weather? How can I remain an unchanging, un, unruffled force so that she can have this outburst as a three-year-old or as a, you know, almost two-year-old for my little one? Um, and how can I remain calm? You know, I think all the time of the Gita, I forget which chapter it is, and it's, it's later on in the Bhagavad Gita where it says, the yogi is um, undisturbed by the world and undisturbing of it. Mm-hmm. And that comes to mind constantly when I think about how can I navigate these waters with them? Because their emotions are huge sometimes, and they don't know what to do with them. So I have to remain so clear and so calm, like, a, really, you know, like I want my consciousness to be calm and clear to reflect what's happening, you know, to, uh, so the idea of, of, um, you know, being the seer mm-hmm. comes to me off as a parent. And so it's, it's, um, yeah, priceless, priceless tools from yoga as a, as a mom. Yeah. I think about the times that, and I have had the explosion of emotion too many times and I step back like, Ooh, not the best choice, but I think how much it probably would be if I didn't have the tools to get grounded myself. And it's interesting. A lot of the coping skills I teach for labor, I relate them to motherhood, like not reacting to discomfort quite as quickly or raising Mm -hmm. my threshold of discomfort, you know, and tolerance and learning to get grounded. I use mantras all the time in my own head. Like, take a deep breath. This will pass. Take a deep breath. Because I've had the times where I can feel the lava coming to the top. And I can't, I I mean, I could, but it's best if I don't erupt. And I literally am like doulaing myself. I'm like talking (laughs) myself down. And it's a lot of the same things. Like when I went in a really hard pose, a lot of the same skills about, okay, you know, soften where you don't need to work so hard, let go and just let it process. And I I feel like, thank God for, for yoga. And then I also wonder how do people, how do people parent without these skills? And that's what I think. Like if I didn't have this, I would be, would I be like the screeching vulture of a mom? You know, I would be overwhelmed by myself and my children all the time. I don't know. But because it's a tool of observation that just comes in all the time where I say, wow, you're about to react or you've just reacted like this. Why is that? How can you rein it in? How can you be softer? How can you be gentler? And how can you observe what you've done, what you've done or what you are doing? Or after the fact, I can, I'm willing to say, you know, practice in detachment. I'm willing to turn to my very young children and say, I'm sorry that I got upset with you for whatever it was. I shouldn't have yelled at you. Although you shouldn't have gone, you shouldn't have (laughs) run in the street or hit your sister or whatever it was. While you shouldn't have done those things, uh, I shouldn't have yelled at you. And then in in this wildly, to me, wildly mature way for these little tiny people, they say, I'm sorry I got upset, you know, or I'm sorry I hit you or uh, whatever it was, you know, and I just think, wow, we give our, if we give ourselves the opportunity to observe, 
we teach them to do the same. Mm-hmm. They recognize at a very young age, they recognize, <laughs> I also, I bit you, I hit you, I yelled at you, whatever, and I shouldn't have done that. And I can see that now. How are you staying active or in touch with the yoga community while raising your girls, if you are? Because I remember you mentioned you're still mentoring. Yeah, I'm mentoring um, students who are, they've been through teacher training, um, uh, they've taken their two, most of them have taken their five, they've completed their 500 hours of training and they're starting to teach. And so we'll do, it's usually online. I'll Skype with them and do Skype calls weekly or biweekly or every other week. Is that biweekly? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> pregnancy brain. And um, just to answer their questions in terms of what's coming up for them in their classes, in their private sessions, like all the new things that they're facing as teachers. And so it's mentoring in that way. And I'll often give them assignments, um, you know, sequence, you know, these things or sequence for this, or you have a student with this injury, how would you navigate that in these postures or in a classroom or in a private setting? Um, so often give them questions, uh, answer their questions in terms of, oh, I have a student with scoliosis. How do I approach them? And what postures can I use? Or I give them direction in that way. Um, and that's it. And otherwise, I mean, most of my friends are still teaching, you know, my, my close girlfriends are still teachers in the community, you know, teaching full time because they don't have families yet. And so a lot of it's just through phone calls with them and chatting and everything. But, um, I reach out to my students or they reach out to me and, you know, we just sort of catch up on life, but I still really feel very peripheral, you know, in that way. And like we were talking about before, I sort of have come to terms with that and, Um, I'm okay here in my little cocoon of motherhood right now, you know, because it is wonderful. It's, it's intense. And I sense that, you know, uh, you know, when my children become school age and they don't need me as much, they're not home as much. That's when I'll really probably reach more strongly back into the community and say, what's up everybody, you know, and, and try to feel it out. But, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm quite happy with, the involvement I have because I still feel like I'm tapping into that part of my brain. I'm still being challenged in that way from my, the students that I mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, but it works for my family and me right now. You know, it's usually early in the morning before the kids get up that I have these Skype calls. And so I feel it's my time. It's, I'm fresh in my head. And then, um, but yeah, my, my, my involvement with the community is sort of, I'm really on the sidelines. Do you want to get back to the trajectory that you once had? Um, I, I can't say right now. I guess I don't know right now. Uh, and I was thinking about that before because um, everybody has sort of, when I left teaching to have my first child and even my second, everybody assumed I would come back full swing. You know, get this motherhood thing down pat, tidy it up, just, you know, get all your ducks in a row and then come back to teaching full time. And the reality of that is so different. I found after I had Leah, my eldest, that um, I didn't want to go back teaching full time. You know, I was ready to have children. I was ready to be a mother. I had had, you know, over 10 years of of teaching full time and and career building and getting in that flow state of teaching and, and being a teacher and being involved with my students very personally. I was ready to step back and say, um, I'm ready to shift gears. So I didn't, I I knew right away, I knew at the time that I don't want to go back teaching full time for a while. I want to be with her. It was so profound and so special to have this, this experience of motherhood, you know, and my husband was totally behind that. He said, we will figure it out. We'll figure out this one income thing. You know, I mean, you suddenly go from like two to one and you are stretched so thin, but we, we decided, you know, we'll make this work. And, um, the same when Noah came along, I just, every, you know, it's like every month or every year you could just get deeper in it. And, um, I'm at the point now with, you know, baby number three coming hopefully in three weeks or sooner, whenever (laughs) you're ready, bud. um, that I don't, I think if I went back to teaching, it wouldn't be with the same force that I did before. It probably would still be part time, you know, and, um, but it, it would be in a way that would be that have to be nourishing for me and for my family. Well, yoga will always be there. Precisely. Which, which is fantastic. It took me a bit to get back. I mean, I think this is the first year I really feel like I kind of have my the ground under my feet again. My daughter 
we did because, uh, as we talked earlier, you and I jumped ship from New York. We're both Jersey girls now, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I never thought I would utter those never, words. Never. <laughs> in fact, I just we we chose to look at New Jersey more because my husband mentioned it, and I thought I'm like, all right, we'll just do it for him instead of me deciding all the things. I'm like, we'll just do it, and I'm like, just to say we did it, and then I'm like, huh, I see some validity to this. I see why it's a valid choice. I see some merit to that idea. So anyway, um, with my daughter now being in school longer days and my son starting kindergarten, it really gave me that opportunity, you know, to start the podcast and to teach more. But where you are right now, pregnant still with the third and you're about to embark on that brand new newborn journey again, it's really hard. And and the moms that do have to go back or, or, you know, for whatever reason crave to go back so soon, it's, it's, it's a challenge, I think, to balance it all. A challenge that I have yet gracefully done. And I, I hear you entirely. It's, it's difficult to do. I've, I mean, I consider myself incredibly blessed. Like it's a luxury for me that I get to stay home and raise my children. You know, um, I'm, it, it's a wonderful thing that I have that choice. And my husband entirely backs me up on which a lot of people are like, Oh, that's sort of antiquated. You know, you're home raising the kids and he's off working. And you know, what decade are you living in? I'm going, well, that's the choice we made and that we both stand behind and that we're both quite happy with. Is it easy? No, because you know, now that he does have this commute, his office is in Brooklyn. So he gets up before the kids wake and he's home after they go to sleep. And his, his, um, work is demanding a tremendous amount from him right now. So He's working constantly, and so I'm pretty much solo parenting from morning to night, you know, and that's that has its own challenges that I sometimes think, why did I think this was a good idea? <laughs> and other times I think, how lucky I am that I have this, you know, but there are moms who don't get to make the choice, who have to go back, or then the moms, I've talked to a friend of mine who's like, I feel kind of guilty because I, I don't want to be, she's three months, my daughter's three months old, and I want to go back to work, and I'm like, that's fine. That's okay to make that choice, you know, because you can, if your family's behind it and if it, if it suits your family, it's okay to make that choice, you know, with, but I think we, we're going to have guilt no matter what choice yes. we make. Society's going to load us with guilt. Oh, well, you're not contributing. You're stay, you're stay home mom. Well, what do you even do all day? Well, I'll, I can stay all day <laughs> and talk to you about that. But I, oh, you're staying home. You don't contribute to the family's income. You don't contribute to society. What are you actually doing? you you know, your mind is going to turn to cotton or you go to work full time. Oh, you've abandoned your children and your family and like you can't win. So it's, it's a hard thing. I think it's a hard choice to make almost like feminism is sort of working both for us and against us in this way. And, um, yes, maybe if we might be able to watch a movie a little bit later, the tablet's not ready yet. This is my friend, Deb. Can you say Hi. hi to Deb? Hi, Leah. <laughs> we'll just be a few more moments. I know yeah, I'm stealing your done. mommy for a long Mama's time. almost done. This is usually why I do the mentoring calls at 6 and 6 <laughs> She know, I'm pretty impressed. My kids would literally be like pulling at the microphone and screaming. So I think you're doing a pretty good job there. <laughs> I'll watch a movie on the TV. Well, I'll go down to the basement with you. Maybe we'll see if we can watch a movie on the TV. But I'll just be a few more minutes with Deb. And then I'll go downstairs with you, Okay. I promise. You want to go? The, the, all the Play-Doh's still out. Mama, I love the new horsey. Okay. What's his name? <laughs> I don't remember his name. At the zoo. Oh, the horse at the zoo. His name was Shrek. <laughs> I love Shrek. Okay, do you want to go try to draw a picture of him? I'll come watch a movie with you in just a few minutes. I don't know how to draw a picture of him. Can you help me? I will help you in just a few minutes, sweetheart. I'm almost done. I promise. And that, my listeners, is motherhood. <laughs> It's a perfect note to actually wrap things up. But Paul, I wanted to thank you for your time and for your brilliance because I enjoyed watching you grow as a teacher and being your student. I loved coming to your classes. It was, you know, it was right down the street from where I was living at the time. It worked really well and, and you're a really special teacher. So I think there's many people that will, when you come back in any fashion, whether it's once, twice, whatever a week, will be really lucky to have you back in the community. Well, thank you, Deb. It was a real pleasure to talk to you again after so long. And we're practically neighbors now. So I know. So I hope and, if I don't see you in the classroom, I'll see you on the playground. Yes. Well, I'm now learning how to kind of drive again, which has been frightening. It's been 20 years. <laughs> and I'm driving. Um, so watch out, New Jersey folks. I'm behind the wheel. <laughs> I'm behind the wheel. 
<laughs> I already hit a parked car once. So anyway, um, but we will find a time to connect because I'm also wanting to meet all your, your flock of kids. <laughs> yeah, the tribe, as we call it, our, our growing tribe. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was such a treat, such a joy to talk to you. It was fun. All right, go take care of your kids. I'll talk to you later. Be all well. right, bye, Deb. Bye. Thanks. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.